And this morning, I, I, I pray that we can have that word restore on our mind. Not in the way that maybe we would think. If you will, take your Bibles with me to Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is one of the most interesting psalms in the fact that it, it is one of the psalms of all of them that we know the exact place, the exact time in which Psalm 51 was written. Psalm 51 is a famous psalm. It's one of David's psalms. But it's David's psalm of repentance after his great sin. See, when we think of David, we think of a few things. The first thing, if I were to say uh, David's name and say David and, we normally tend to think of either two names, either David and Goliath, his great conquering work for God, or David and Bathsheba, his great failure in sin. So we were talking to the teenagers this morning. This wasn't David's only sin he ever committed in, in his life. He had multiple times where he sinned. He sinned in numbering the people not once but twice. He sinned in going down and living amongst the Philistines for a while and running from Saul. But when we think of David, we think of either his great conquering work over Goliath or we think of his great sin before God with Bathsheba. Nathan comes to David the prophet in 1 Samuel there and says, Thou art the man. Points out his sin to him. Makes him aware of it. And David, in his brokenness, pins this psalm. And it's so powerful in the words this morning. And I pray that God will work in your life as he has in mine as I've read and studied this passage. Psalm 51 says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. According unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. That thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy way, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation. And my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else I would give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. Do good in thy good pleasure unto Zion. Build thou the walls of Jerusalem. Then shalt, thou be ple- then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering, 
and with whole burnt offering. And then shall they offer bullocks upon thy altar. If you look again with me there in verse 12, David, in all the things he says and the many words he uses, and as we read it, we can tell that this is not a man casually dealing with his sin. This is a man who is coming before God who is broken. We'll see in a, in a few moments the words that he uses, but there in verse 12 he says, in a prayer to God, restore unto me. I pray that this morning that for just a few moments as we look at this passage of Scripture, when we leave this place, that your prayer and my prayer before God is God restore unto me. See, we're enamored with restoration and taking that which is old and making it new, giving and repurposing things. And too many times as Christians, we've lived the Christian life, we've come to know Christ as our personal Savior, and we've forgotten what it means to have that new life given unto us. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ as your personal Savior, if you do not have the assurance in your heart that you can say, I know that I will go to heaven, this passage is for you as well. David says in his heart, he says, Lord, make me right, wash me whiter than snow. And I say to you this morning that if you don't know Christ as your Savior, today could be the day that you come to know Christ as your Savior. But I pray that this morning that you will say before God, Lord, restore unto me. See, we as Christians, we, we, we really like to, to think about this thing of going, oh, my sins are forgiven. And they are. Praise the Lord. They're, they're forgiven if we know Christ is our personal Savior. If we have his blood atoned and placed on our account. But as Galatians says in Paul writing, is the grace of God a liberty for sin? God forbid. The truth is, is that we still have a sin nature. And far too often, we're thankful for the salvation and never burdened over our sin. Because we know we'll have atonement. I love 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. We confess our sins. He is faithful, just, forgive us of our sins, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But there are many times in our lives as Christians, we are readily way too quick to claim 1 John 1, 9. And we're never broken of our sin. We're never burdened by our sin. Our sin is not, as David said, ever before us. When we view our sin, we view it as something that's been taken care of, a pest, a nuisance, if you will, that has been dealt with. And God, in his perfect wisdom, allowing David's to, David to pen this psalm, helps us to understand the true attitude we, as people, should have towards our own sin to be broken and burdened, brought to a place where we can't help but deal with our sin and our sin nature before God. And for just a few moments, we can see here that David, yes, while he was broken, his great prayer was, God, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. See, if David was ever going to do a work, and let me tell you, David was a man who desired to do a work for God. As we read... First and Second Samuel, as we read the Psalms, we see that David desired to do something for God that he wanted so badly, even as that young child on that hillside when he said, is there not a cause? We know that David was one who had a heart after God. In fact, the Bible tells us that. 
When we think of David, we always can think of the fact that he was a man who had a heart after God. He wanted to do something for God. But in his sin, his great sin, his sin that was brought to him and pointed out to him, he came to the realization that if he was ever going to do anything, anything for God, he had to deal with his sin. Not as a, a, a one, as a Christian saying, I want to do something for God, or, or an unsaved person saying, I need to deal with my sin, but rather as a Christian person saying, if I'm going to ever do anything for God, I have to deal again with my sin. Praise the Lord, our sin's been dealt with. It's been paid for. It's been put under the blood of Jesus Christ. It's been taken, and as the Bible says here, it's been blotted out. Our transgressions and our iniquities have been blotted out against our account. If we know Christ is our personal Savior, we have the righteousness of Jesus Christ on our account. And He takes the imputed sinful nature of us when He died on the cross for our sins and He gives us His righteousness before God, that we are justified before God, that when God sees us, He does not see us as John Meadows. He does not see me as a sinner. He does not see me in my sin. No, rather, He sees me as the perfect, righteous Son of God and I have His righteousness placed on my account. Remember, the Bible tells us that our righteousness is as filthy rags. My righteousness is disgusting. The greatest person in this room is still a leper of sin before God. You say, well, I'm not the greatest person, so what am I? You're viewed in the same view as everyone else. God is no respecter of persons. And David says, God, I have one great request. Restore unto me. Let's pray and ask God to help us and then we'll look in this passage and see what God has for us. Dear Lord, this morning my prayer to you is restore unto me. God, I thank you that you are not a God who leaves us alone. That you're a chastening God. God, that you're a God who desires to move in our lives and through our lives. And God, is the great, God, the greatest thing we could want from, from you or for you is nothing compared to what you want to do through us. Lord, help us. Help us in this hour to deal with our sin. Lord, if there's one here that doesn't know you as their Savior, may they confess their sin before you and accept your blood on their account for salvation. Lord, for those of us that here that do know you as Savior, God, may we not pass over the idea that you still desire us to be broken over our sin. Would you work in our lives? Would you deal with us? God, break us. Bring us to a place of breaking that you can then use us. Help us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Psalm 51, again, like I said, is one of those interesting psalms. It's not a psalm of cheerfulness or praise or worship so to speak in the sense that we think of when we think of psalms it's not uh as those psalms uh uh, 137 where it says uh, great is the lord and greatly to be praised when we think of those psalms that lift us up when we read and encourage us but when we read psalm 51 it almost has a different air a different tone a different way about it it's written by a man who's broken over his sin He's dealing with it.
We see three things in this passage here that I think will help us understand just exactly what David was trying to do or what David had come to, the place that he had come to in his life when it came to his sin. And the first thing here that I'd like for you to see is that David had an acknowledgement of his sin. Look with me in verse 1 here. He says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy thy tender mercies, blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me. David had an acknowledgement of the sin. He understood not only was he a sinner, but that he had sin and that his sin was before God. David admits his wrongdoings. He recognized that it was not just his sin that he had to deal with. See, oftentimes as Christians, we want to deal with our sin, but we sometimes forget to deal with our sin nature. Look at verse 5 with me, if you will. David writing here, and he says, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. David here understands of all things. He said, Look, I understand that I have sinned before thee, God, and I understand that I am a sinner. And if I'm going to get right with you, if I'm going to get in the place where I can do a work for you, I must recognize before God, I must acknowledge before God, not that I just have sin, but that my very essence, the very being of who I am is sinful. And that without you and without your intervening in my life, that is all I will ever be is a sinner. Even at our greatest work, we're still sinners. And God desires to move and work in. David is not a man casually dealing with his sin. He is a man who is wholly dependent on God to take care of his sin. When we look at his acknowledgement of his sin, we see a few things. First, we see that he acknowledged the source of his sin. Look at the words that he uses when it comes to the source of his sin. Verse number one, have mercy upon me. O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. He says, I acknowledge my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. See, David wasn't blaming Bathsheba for his sin. David was admitting to God and acknowledging before God that my sin is mine and mine alone. It's not my parents. It's not my raising. It's not the environment I live in. It's not the culture I live in. It is my sin before God. Too often we are ready to push the blame on other reasons or we're ready to pass the buck, if you will, on our sin. We'll say, well, you know, I, 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 had to, I live this way because that's just what everybody does. Or, or she caused me. If she, it, it, David could have easily said, hey, if she wouldn't have been up there, I wouldn't have sinned. The truth is, is David would have been where he was supposed to be. He would have never seen her. His sin was on him. He should have moved away. He should have been where God intended him for him to be. If you look in the, in the account in 1 Samuel, I encourage you to go back and read it. It says, at the time upon which the kings went to battle. David was the king, and he wasn't battling. See, too often in our lives, we're not willing to really acknowledge that it is our sin. We blame it on our culture. We blame it on our parents. We blame it on our significant other. We blame it on our children. 
Well, if they wouldn't have disobeyed, I wouldn't have got angry. Well, it doesn't mean to give you the right to be angry. It's still anger. It's still sin before God. You don't understand the things I've had to go through. No, but your sin is still your sin. David acknowledged the source of his sin. Not only did he acknowledge the source of his sin, he acknowledged the scope of his sin. Look look at what he says in verse 1. He starts from the very beginning. He says, my sin is so great before God that there is one thing and one thing only that will take care of it. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. His sin, he understood the scope of his sin went so far that it was only by the mercy of God that his sin could be dealt with. He needed it. In fact, in the penning of this psalm, he uses four different words, four of the six different words that the Bible uses when it comes to sin. He uses the word sin. He uses the word transgression. He uses the word iniquity. And he uses the word evil. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time that you were honest before God and you viewed your sin as evil? Say, I'm not evil. Before God, we're all evil. See, we don't want to proclaim our sin as God proclaims our sin. See, we look at David and we say, yeah, but you're talking about David's great sin here. No, no, remember, I'm talking about David's sin nature, the one that we all have. And he said, God, before you I have sinned, before you I have committed transgressions, before you I have committed iniquity, before you I have done evil in your sight. We as Christians, man, we, we want our country, we want our nation to be right with God. We look at everyone else and point at their sin and look at their wickedness and look at their filth and we're so hesitant to stand before the mirror of God's word and say, I am evil in your sight and my sin is ever before me. I stand before you not as a preacher, I stand before you as a sinner. I don't stand up here as the assistant pastor of the church. I stand up here a man that is broken over his sinful nature. There's nothing special about me. I sit in the pew like you do. I listen to preaching like you do. I try to walk with God just like you try to walk with God. And I'm still a sinner. And it is only by the mercy of God that the scope of my sin can be acknowledged before him. Not only did he acknowledge the source of his sin and the scope of his sin, he understood and acknowledged the severity of his sin. Look with me at verse 2. Wash me throughly from my iniquity. That word throughly is not a word that we tend to use these days. In fact, it's a word that is often sometimes substituted with the word thoroughly. They're not the same word. They actually have separate meanings. If I were going to cook a hamburger and I was going to thoroughly cook a hamburger, it's probably going to be a little charred. It's probably going to be a little dry. It's probably going to be really, really well done. That's going to be a thoroughly cooked hamburger. I'm going to torch it. I'm going to make sure that it is thoroughly cooked. But if I'm going to cook a hamburger thoroughly, it'll be cooked from one side to the other with great care, great taking care to make sure that that center is perfectly done 
still moist, still tasty. It'll be thoroughly cooked. Now bear with me, I'm going to get you out into lunch now that you're hungry, you're looking for a hamburger. But the truth is, is that so often we need God not to just wash us from our sin. We need God to wash us thoroughly. Thoroughly. You know, the truth is, is that when you look at the word, he says, and he'll go on and we'll talk about this again in a few moments. He says, uh, thou desirest truth in the inward parts. That word inward parts really gives the idea or the understanding to be the anatomical place that is the most center of the body. Under all the fat, under all the tissue, under all the organs, if you could go to the wherever is the deepest recesses of the body, that's the place that God desires truth in our lives. That's how much God wants to deal with us. He wants to go to our very inner being of ourselves and wash us entirely of iniquity. See, sometimes we're willing to let God take care of the sin that people see. The sin that's on the outside. Clean us up, make us look nice. But that inner sin, we're not sure we want God to deal with that. That's my sin. That's my quiet place. That's my secret place. Those are my thoughts. That's what I do when no one's around. And David says, God... The severity of my sin is so bad. My sinful nature is so deep that I need you to wash me thoroughly with intent, with purpose, not missing a single thing. Not like one of these young men who like the outside of their car to look nice and you open the door and trash falls out. I'm guilty of that. David says, I acknowledge my sin and the severity of it. I also acknowledge my sin that not only was it the severity of the cleansing I needed, but the severity of the sin before God. Who was his sin against? He said, my sin is not bad because of what I did. My sin is bad because of who I committed it against. He says, against thee and thee alone have I sinned. It wasn't what he did. It was to whom he sinned against. It doesn't matter what your sin is. No sin is justifiable before the Almighty God because your sin is against God. Anything that is against God is enmity towards Him. It's sin. And our sin is wicked. It's vile. It's severe. Not because of what we do, but because of who we sin against. He acknowledged the severity of his sin. But not only that, he acknowledged the start of his sin. He says there again in verse 5, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. He says to God, he says, God, I have always been a sinner. This is all I know, and I need you to deal with me. See, David acknowledged his sin before God. And for many of us in this room, we've come to a place in our life where we've acknowledged our sin before God. We've confessed our sins before Him and we've asked Him to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Bible says if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And many of us in this room, praise God by the testimony you give, you know Christ as your Savior. You've acknowledged your sin. 
If you don't know Christ as your Savior, if you've never acknowledged the fact that you are a sinner, can I tell you that the Bible says that your sin must be paid for? It says, for the wages of sin is death. That's horrible news. The only way you can pay for your sin, the only way you can deal with your sin is through a place called hell, eternal damnation. That's not me saying that. That's God Almighty, the perfect one, the perfect judge that says, I cannot look upon sin. I cannot entertain sin. I cannot fellowship with sin. And if you are going to keep your sinfulness, if you're going to keep your sin, then I'm sorry for all eternity. I cannot be with you. And hell will have to be your place. The great thing about that verse is it says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It says, but God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, if you've never accepted that salvation of salva- uh, the salvation of God's blood played on your account, your sins forgiven, can I tell you that this morning can be the morning? God brought you to this place just so you could hear this, that he loves you that he died on the cross for your sins. And if that you'll confess before him that you're a sinner and believe in your heart that Christ hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. What a glorious day. It'll change your life. If you don't know Christ as your Savior today, I beg with you, I plead with you that your righteousness is filthy now. You'll never work to be a good person enough to get to heaven. The only thing you can ever do is accept him. And he says, whosoever will. It doesn't matter how bad you think your sin is. It doesn't matter what you think you've done that's against God. God is standing with open arms that have been nail pierced and says to you, this is how much I love you. Come unto me and I will save you and give you eternal home in heaven. But the truth is for us that are sinners, we still need to acknowledge our sin again before God. Without, without salvation, it would never be obtainable what we have. See, we're so often ready to accept Christ for salvation, and then we get saved, and instead of running back to the cross to deal with our sin, we'll say, oh, I'll, I'll figure it out. I'll get it figured out. I can live the Christian life. Tell me in what world that adds up. I can't... I can trust God for my salvation for my sin, but the sin I still have, it's forgiven, but, but I'll figure out a way to get, get back to the fellowship. No. Without God's mercy and God moving in our lives, we will never, never be able to deal with our sin outside of Christ. And we must acknowledge our sin. But see, the thing about David was he went beyond acknowledging his sin. There's a second thing that we see here. We see his brokenness over his sin look with me in verse 6 actually look with me in verse 16 if you will and look into the words that David uses concerning his brokenness he says for thou desirest not sacrifice else I would give it thou delightest not in burnt offerings look at verse number 17 the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit a broken and a contrite heart O God thou wilt not despise If you go back up and you look back in verse number 8, he says, Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Can I ask you a question this morning? 
whether you're lost or saved, does your sin feel like it's breaking your bones? Because anything shy of that, to be honest with you, we're just casually playing and dealing with our sin. See, we want to add these sacrifices before God. That's okay, I'll just, I'll, 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 I'll go to church and I'll read my Bible and things and, and I'll pray and ask God. And God says here in his word that the sacrifices of God in dealing with sin are a broken and contrite heart. The word contrite there literally means to take and to crush into a fine powder. Is your heart broken? Is it contrite over your sin before God? Are you truly broken over your sin? David desired for God to do a work through him. But he came to the realization that just acknowledging his sin was never enough. If he was really going to be used by God, if he was going to see people come to know Christ as Savior, if he was going to make an impact in his world and in his place and in the place that God had given him to live, the only way he could do it was if he was truly broken over his sin. Look at the scope of his brokenness here in verse 6. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts. And in the hidden part, thou shalt make me to know wisdom. David was broken very to the very depth and inner person of his being. He was hiding nothing, holding nothing, and keeping nothing from God Almighty when it came to his sin. He stood before God and he said, God, the very deepest of my soul, go in and take out the sin. It's almost like a root canal. He was ready to go into the very deeps and clear out the death and decay. He said, no matter how painful, no matter what it touches, no matter God where my sin is, the very deepest hidden part, the place that I don't even know, God, please, please, I'm broken before you. Deal with my sin. The severity of his sin. He understood it. He said, shall I, uh, he said in verse 7, purge me with hyssop. Now this is just interesting because we say, well, what is this? Hyssop is something that is very specific to the Bible and very specific to the Jewish people. It's a plant. Some of you may know it. If you use essential oils, hyssop is an essential oil that you can use. It's used for purifying and things. The interesting thing about hyssop is hyssop is the bush that put the blood on the doorposts for the Passover. Hyssop in Leviticus 14 was used to cleanse the leper. Hyssop in Numbers 19 was used to cleanse those who had touched the dead. Hyssop is a picture of Christ and Christ alone. And David saying, God, purge me with hyssop. Purge me. Deal with me. Through only you, Christ alone can deal with me. He said, and then I shall be clean. If you wash me, then I will be whiter than snow. 
the severity. He understood that his sin, that his sin was so far, that he was broken so far over his sin that nothing he could do would get it fixed. Nothing he could do would allow him to be used by God, but it would require that Christ and Christ alone, John 15, 5 says, without me, ye can do nothing. When we try to deal with our sin in our own right, it'll never be taken care of. But also I want you to notice in verses 9 through 12 the spirit that this brokenness produced. See, we often think when we hear the word broken or broken people, we think of distraught, cast down, mournful, moaning, welling type people. And I promise you David was distraught and cast down and broken over his sin. But I want you to look at what happens when we're broken over our sin and the spirit that it produces. Look at verse number Nine, when I cry, uh, excuse me, hide thy face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Verse number 10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. That word create there when it says create in me a clean, create in me a clean heart, O God. It's the, the word that doesn't mean create as in to take and to form. It's the word that means to remove and form. How many of you, when we were a kid, you remember taking a sheet of paper, folding it over, folding it in half, taking a pair of scissors, and you would cut out a shape. And then when you would unfold it, there's the shape. You might cut out half a heart or half of a person's body. You remember doing that? How many of you remember that? That's the very understanding that this word create means. That God is going to remove some things from our lives in order to create in us a clean heart. See, the truth is, is that many of us don't need God to come along and fix something. He needs us to, he needs to come along. We need him to come along and remove some things. We've been so burdened with this world. We've allowed all the mire and the filth and the muck of this world to be placed on us and the things. And we need God to remove it from us. God says, created me a clean heart. It literally means to remove the excess. Are you that burdened over your sin that you say, God, take whatever you want? No, not that, God. No, you can have everything, but not that. Not that friendship. Not that place. Not that entertainment. Then you're not broken over your sin. And until you're broken over your sin, I'm sorry to say, the thing that you desire the most from God to do through you will never be done. See, the problem with us as Christians in America is that we're not broken over our sin. Verse 11, he says, Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. It was a spirit of one that wanted to be close to God, to dwell with God. I love spending time with my wife. She's an amazing lady. I do. I absolutely do. When we're apart, it gets me down. It wears me out. But how many of us as Christians say, when I haven't spent time with God, I'm worn out, burdened. I'm defeated. 
do you crave the presence of God in your life? Are you broken over your sin? Verse 12 says, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Do you remember what it's like that moment you trusted Christ as your Savior? Who was the person that popped into your mind the moment that you got done praying and you said, they need this, they need this salvation. I must take it to them. They need to know God and they must have their sins forgiven. You remember that joy? Oh, if they'll just get this, they'll be so happy, they'll be so pleased, they'll be right and everything will be wonderful because God is good and my sins are forgiven. You remember that joy? That desire we had that it didn't matter what it would take, no matter where we had to go, no matter what obstacle we had to go through, as long as we could get the gospel to those people that we loved and that we cared about, that's the joy of my salvation. And for us as Christians so far, well, if they could just get the gospel, maybe somebody will take it to them. They need it. I can't go, but maybe somebody will. Can I say unto you, I'm not sure that you remember what the joy of your salvation is and I'm not sure that I remember what the joy of salvation is. When we're truly broken over our sin, we remember that God has done a work that only God can do. There's a third thing. And we're done. Not only did he acknowledge his sin, not only was he broken for his sin, but he was consecrated for God's work. Saved person this morning, I want to ask you this question. What is it that you want God to do through your life? Not is it what is it that you want to do. Not is it what is it that you want to see accomplished. What is it that you want God to do through your life? Who is that person that you want to see have the opportunity for you to lead to the Lord? What is that difference that you want to make for the cause of Christ? You say, I don't know. You say, I... I don't know, maybe there's a couple people I want to lead to the Lord or something. Can I say that until you're broken over your own sin, you're a tool that's ineffective for God. David came to the understanding that if he was ever going to see Jerusalem built, if he was ever going to see the walls built up, if he was ever going to see Jerusalem raised to the glory and the temple built, that he had to be broken and burdened over his own sin. If we're ever going to see these young people impacted in such a way that their lives are forever changed that they lead their generation for the cause of Christ. We have to be broken over our sin. If we're going to make an impact in the the littlest child in the nursery to the oldest teenager that's here, we have to be broken over our sin. If we expect or ask or want God to move in our lives in the lives of a family member that's away from God or needs to be saved, we have to be broken over our sin. If we want our nation to see revival, we have to, we must, we cannot any other way see it unless we are broken, we are contrite over our sin. I'd rather live a life of brokenness over my sin with the true joy of salvation than the happiness of sin and miserable before God. I desire desire to see God move 
I want David's words to be my testimony. Look at verse number 12. He says, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Uphold me with thy free spirit. Verse number 13 says, Then. Oh, I want to teach transgressors of the way. Oh, I want to see people saved and come to know Christ as their Savior. But it will not be until I have restored unto me the joy of salvation until I can teach transgressors of the way. You got a lost family member? How's your joy of salvation? Are you broken over your sin? Because until you're broken over your sin, don't expect for them to be broken over theirs. What do you desire God to do in your church, in your home, in your life, in Clarksville? Until we come to a place where we're living broken over our sinfulness, we will never see the the fullness of what God desires to do. Spurgeon said it this way, Whenever God means to make a man great, he always breaks him into pieces first. Another preacher says this, Brokenness is God's requirement for maximum usefulness. Vance Havner said, God uses broken things. It takes broken soil to produce a crop, broken clouds to give rain, broken grain to give bread, broken bread to give strength. It is the broken alabaster box that gave forth the perfume. If you've heard nothing, I encourage you to listen to A.W. Tozer's words in the root of righteousness, root of the righteous that he wrote. When he said these words and he penned them, he said, We tend to think of Christianity as a painless system by which we can escape the penalty of past sins and attain to heaven at last. The flaming desire to be rid of every unholy thing and to put on the likeness of Christ at any cost is not often found among us. Can I read that sentence to you again? The flaming desire to be rid of every unholy thing and to put on the likeness of Christ at any cost is not often found among us. We expect to enter into the everlasting kingdom of our Father and to sit down around the table with the sages, saints, and martyrs. And through the grace of God, maybe we shall. Yes, maybe we shall. But for the most of us, it could prove at first an embarrassing experience. Ours might be the silence of the untried soldier in the presence of the battle-hardened heroes who have fought the fight and won the victory, who have the scars to prove that they were present when the battle was joined. The devil things and people being what they are, it is necessary for God to use the hammer, the fire, and the furnace in his holy work of preparing a saint for true sainthood. It is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. My question to you is, are you broken over your sin? Is your prayer this morning, God, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Help me to be broken with my sins so that I can teach others what it means to know you as Savior. Who's the family member in your life that needs Christ as their Savior? What's their name? What's their face? It's ever before you. The Holy Spirit's putting it on your heart. Are you broken over your sin? You say, I want to see God do something great through the lives of these teenagers. Are you broken over your sin? 
I want God to use me, young person. I've talked to these preacher's boys here. Say, I want to be a great preacher for God. Young men, are you broken over your sin? Young person, you say, I want to reach my generation for the cause of Christ. Are you broken over your sin? Mom, dad, you want to see God do something mighty in the lives of your young person. Can I ask you a question? Are you broken over your sin? With heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to ask you this simple question. I want to invite you to this altar. Before the piano ever plays, I want you to come and say, God, if it be your heart, Lord, break me over my sin and restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, I want to ask you this simple question. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed, no one's looking around. Is there anyone in this room that says, Brother John, I'm not 100% sure I would die and go to heaven, but I am 100% sure I do not want to die and go to hell. I want to say that again. I'm not 100% sure I'd die and go to heaven, but I'm 100% sure I do not want to die and go to hell. Would you just raise your hand? I'm not going to come to you. I'm not going to embarrass you. Is there anyone here that would raise their hand and say, that's me? I do not want to die and go to hell. Would you raise your hand? If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your Savior, if you've never accepted Him, today can be the day. Christian, if you're here this morning and you've been living this game of the Christian life, your life hasn't been wholly given to God, you've just been kind of going through this thing, can I ask you a question? What's it going to take to break you of your sin? What's it going to take to deal with you over your sin? Mom, Dad, what do you want for your child? Are you broken over your sin? You come, altars are open, you do business with God.
who turns the 